Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. My guest today is Nick Robinson. Before we get to Nick, I do have some announcements to make. First is that you go to our website, which is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and check out all the stories that I've written, stories that some of the guests have written. You can see links to our social media. You can see links to the guest social media. And by our social media, I mean, of course, Instagram. Follow us there at Travel Tales Podcast. Twitter, you can follow us at Travel Tales Pod. There's links to our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. On YouTube, you can follow us at Travel Tales Podcast. I'd like to build that up. I want to put more videos on there, and I am putting more videos on there. So try to uh, follow us there. I want subscribers. I want likes. I want followers. Boy, that sounds needy, but that's the way things go now. You can also find links to Stitcher Radio and iTunes, where you can subscribe to the show for free, as always. And if you're on Stitcher or iTunes, I ask you, please, please, please give us a good rating. That helps people find the show because it boosts our presence there, and that's always a cool thing. Hey, maybe you want to be a guest on the show. Maybe you know somebody who'd be a great guest on the show. If so, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of writing me to get on the show, here's a guy who did just that. This is Nick Robinson. He's all the way in Portugal in the Algarve Coast. And I know I mentioned this last year when I went there that this is the southern coast of Portugal. It's gorgeous, beautiful beaches. There's caves. There's rock formations. There's great hiking. Uh, Of course, the weather is gorgeous and there's amazing seafood and wine and everything else. Big fan of the Algarve. And I'm going to make it back there one day. And if I do, I'm going to contact Nick, who is, uh, has been there for quite a while now. He's a South African who moved there in the early 2000s, planned to stay for six months, ended up staying a lifetime. Met a woman, got married, had a kid. You know how it all goes. But he's become quite an expert, as you can imagine, on the Algarve and things to do. He uh, runs a stand-up paddleboarding business. He's got a website, algarveaddicts.com, and his own podcast as well, and we're going to talk about that. So let's head to the sea, shall we? Direct from the Algarve coast of Portugal via Skype, please enjoy my conversation with Nick Robinson. (laughs) Nick Robinson, how are things in the Algarve? Oh, absolutely fantastic. It's a hot, summery day, and the sun's just setting. It's just beautiful, beautiful. We're having a, an exciting summer, really, really going well. Now, where in the Algarve are you located? Well, it's quite a mouthful. It's called Sao Braz de Alportel, which is about 30 kilometers north of Faro Airport, which is basically smack bang in the center of the Algarve. Um, yeah. Have you been down here? I have been down there, and it's, I thought it was very lovely. I was there last September. It was the last week of September, and it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It was one of those places I thought, you know what? I could live here. I could totally live here. I know. It's a stunning place. I'm very, really privileged to live here. I've been here for 18 years. I'll always remember Pharaoh because I was flying from Pharaoh to Luton back outside of London, a direct flight 
Faro to Luton on Monarch Airlines, which was a small British airline, and the airline went out of business on my way to the Faro Airport. Wow. So did you manage to make it on Monarch Airlines or not? I did. I got to the <laughs> airport, and there was a sign taped over the Monarch logo that said, all flights today being handled by Titan Airlines or something. And I found out later that the British government, I was part of the largest airlift that the UK has ever had since World War II. They hired all these planes to retrieve their citizens from around the world, and most of them got back. So good on the British government for that one. Wow. I mean, I remember the story. It was like in breaking news here. It was, uh, it was a crazy story. But uh. Yeah, it was weird. It just I, That never happened to me before. I never had an airline go out of business while I was going to the gate. Very strange. <laughs> so you got good memories of the Algarve then. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I have great memories of it. So how long have you been there? I've been here 18 years. I moved over from South Africa um, yeah, 18 years ago and uh, loved it so much I stayed. I was actually initially only coming here for six months, uh, but it's so similar. The vegetation is very similar to Cape Town. It's a, a Mediterranean climate. It's the same as Cape Town is where I was born. Yeah, I just wanted to explore a bit more. I'd been there for 30 years, so um, I wanted to explore a little bit more and I had an opportunity to come over to Portugal and uh, and check it out. So I came over for six months and, and ended up staying here, married, lived here, Got a kid here, everything. So it's a, it's a great place to be. But why the Algarve? And was it your plan to live there permanently? Actually, my cousin offered me to come and work in his restaurant. And I said, no, you must be kidding. I've uh, done all my work in restaurants when I was a kid um, because I had a, I was a, a corporate IT job in Cape Town. And, th- and then a year later, he said to me, come on, like, just come over for six months. You know, South Africa's, South Africa's going nowhere. Why don't you come and, and you know, find out about Portugal? So I said, well, okay. So I came for, for a six-month working holiday in his restaurant and absolutely loved it. We, um, his restaurant was in a place called Cavoeiro, which is basically an old fishing village uh, in, the, in the west of the Algarve. And it was uh, incredible beaches, massive yellow cliffs. It's just fantastic. Now, when you say like South Africa was going nowhere, do you mean like politically or economically? Well, yeah. I mean, I left in the year two thousand. Um, I mean, South Africa has been it has a pretty heavy, has had a pretty heavy time for a long, a long time. I mean, in nineteen ninety four, when Nelson Mandela came into power, everybody thought that was going to go crazy, and it turned out extremely well. It was uh, a very, very good transition. But so, yeah, things have been slowly sliding downhill since uh, since Nelson Mandela. Uh, so yeah, I was just looking. To be honest, I wasn't leaving because of crime or because you know a lot of people leave because of crime from South Africa, and um, I just wanted to explore the world and and get out. So, what is the visa situation for a South African in Portugal? Uh, thankfully, my father was born in Manchester in the United Kingdom, and um, so I have a I have a British passport, which is very very handy, and so I could just basically walk in as a part of the EU and work anywhere in the EU. Well, with your British passport and now with Brexit, are you worried what Brexit might bring? Well, to be honest, nobody really knows at this stage. I mean, it's getting closer and closer and there's a lot of rumors going around and um, and everything. But yeah, Brexit obviously is going to affect us and we might have to apply for, I mean, definitely I'll probably apply for a Portuguese passport because I've been here so long, I'm eligible. Um, but I think it's definitely going to affect a lot of travelers. Hopefully, you know, you won't have to have visas to come to Portugal because that would just make it very difficult because the main tourism here is from the UK. Oh, believe me, I stayed in Albufeira, so I saw enough drunken Brits to last me a lifetime. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I interviewed quite a few people for my own podcast, and most of them say, do not go to Albufeira. It worked well as a base 
that we could explore other towns from there. If I was going to go back, I wouldn't stay in Albufera, but uh, at least I know what it is now. Yeah, you know? and I'd suggest everyone else do that as well because, I mean, 40% of the tourism is in uh, Albufera in the Algarve. But I remember I had a stand-up paddle company. Go- do you know a stand-up paddle? Absolutely. I live in California. I see them everywhere. Of course. Ah, <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah, the place is littered with them. Huh? Uh, so I ran a stand-up paddle touring company. And I remember early one morning going to pick up two young girls who just booked their ticket to the Algarve over the internet, and they didn't know quite what they were in for. So I picked them up and I said, so how's it, uh, you know, what's it like staying in Albufeira? And she said, oh, I can't believe it. There's people just partying all night, music pounding everywhere, you know, people just throwing up on her doorstep. And she just couldn't wait to get into the water and, and get into the caves and, and paddle with me. She goes, it can be quite a riotous, I mean, look, if you want to party, Definitely go to Albufeira, because that's where it's all at. So you got married. Is your wife Portuguese? She is Portuguese, yes. Um, she was actually got quite an interesting back history, because she came from... She was born in Mozambique. Um, yeah, and now, because her family was Portuguese, and they moved over to Mozambique, because her father was in the police there. And, and then in 1974, when the Portuguese Revolution hit... Um, her father was kind of public enemy number one and nobody wanted the police in Mozambique anymore. So they had to make a beeline for the border overnight in a little Volkswagen Beetle. And uh, she, she was like eight years old or something and went across the river in the middle of winter to South Africa to escape the new Mozambican regime. And uh, they ended up being refugees for about a year and a half. So it was, and everything just wiped out all their wealth that they had was just left in Mozambique, and they had to start over from scratch in, in South Africa. Um, so she stayed in South Africa for some time until she was m- mid-20s, and then moved to Portugal, and I met her here. So we shared the common bond of being in South Africa for the you know the South African bond. Well, that's a bit of a coincidence. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy, isn't it? Well, tell me about the website you're building and the podcast and what you're working on now. Um, well, I've been in internet marketing for the last 20 years. Um, and, you know, digital marketing, building websites, creating podcasts, do, taking videos, vlogs. Um, and I've started this program or this podcast called Algarve Addicts, where basically we interview people all around the Algarve and share their stories of how they got here and why they stay here and what it's like to be here. Um, and it's an exciting project. It's really great to meet so many interesting people because it's kind of like, I don't know, have you, you've been to Key West, Florida, right? Oh, yes, many times. Yeah, it's kind of like, Stop the world, I want to get off. And all the interesting people go down to Key West. Yeah, you also find a lot of people running away from a lot of things, too. Yeah. <laughs> Does Albufera have that as well? Like those old Cockney gangsters retiring, like in Sexy Beast, <laughs> like they do? Yeah, we don't really get as many gangsters. They sort of hang around Marbella and Malaga in the south coast of Spain. So we don't get that sort of violent gangsters down here. But there are some quite interesting people. And you're not quite sure where they've or how they've made their money. Occasionally, there'll be a, a large story, just like recently, we just had a, a foreign exchange company just go bankrupt here and uh, taken a lot of people's money with them, mine included. So yeah, I mean, things like that happen around here. It's just, uh, it's quite, quite interesting. Now, I assume most of your guests are probably Brits, but do you talk to locals as well? Um, yeah, and I also interview because a lot of Portuguese speak English very well, um, which is quite unusual for Europe. I mean, I suppose a lot of Italians don't generally speak English. Spanish don't really speak English that much. But the Portuguese really make an effort, and they're all very fluent in English. So I interview a lot of Portuguese people as well just to try and get the flavor going, you know, just keep keep the local stories up as well. So how have the locals reacted to all these foreigners coming in and living in their country? Well, a lot of them are embracing it more and more. And um, when I first arrived 18 years ago, they were – 
I didn't really feel the most welcome. Um, but over the last few years, I mean, Portugal's tourism has increased rapidly over the last three, four years. And um, and everyone's seeming to embrace it and, and realize that it's that it's great for, for Portugal. It really is. Um, so they're treat, treating everyone very nicely and very friendly. But I mean, they're generally a very friendly people, the Portuguese. They're very welcoming and and open. Well, I think it's safe to say that for a while there, the Portuguese economy wasn't doing too well. Is it? Is it better now? Yeah, between 2010 and 2014, it was it was really tough here. Um, you know, there was this word "crise," you know, like Portuguese word for crisis, and every single conversation was dotted with that, and uh, everyone was moaning, and it was very, very, very tough. All the shops were closing, and it was really hard to make a living here. Um, and then in 2014, it started perking up a bit, and now. Um, I read in, in, a, in a magazine that Portugal is actually one of the fastest growing company or the fastest growing country in Europe um, in the first quarter of 2018. So, you know, we're really resurging and, and, and doing great. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting to see. And you look around, you just feel this um, enthusiasm and positivity here. It's a, it's a really great time to be in Portugal. Well, I know for a lot of those countries in Europe, they were having a big brain drain of young people. You know, my friends in Spain, uh, they had to move because they didn't see any opportunity you know, this was probably about six, seven years ago. Uh, is it getting to a situation there where the young people are actually staying? Yeah, I think a lot more people are staying now. There's a lot of startups happening. There's a big startup, you know, tech startup uh, business going up in Lisbon. A lot of new businesses starting up. But yeah, in those days, in 2010 to 2014, the president or prime minister actually turned around and said, you know what, if you can't find work here, just go elsewhere, go to Brazil or go wherever you want to go. But just, you know, and that, everyone just left. There's an interesting policy so, tactic. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it's uh, it's very different these days. It's almost like a complete turnaround. What do you find to be the most challenging thing about doing business in Portugal? Well, I think in, in many of the Mediterranean countries, the bureaucracy is a, is a real challenge. And uh, there are so many... Portuguese make life really hard for you. I mean, uh, really hard for themselves as well. There's just so many forms. You have to fill in so many different laws. And um, also, like, for example, when I was starting, because I started a stand-up paddle touring company, um, and I've done that for the last three years. And just setting that up as, as an eye-opener itself, because, for example, you go to one area of the coastline, and there'll be um, that sort of maritime authority that'll run that area. And their licenses are maybe 300 euros for three months. You go to another part of the coastline and it's 30 euros for three months. So there's just a lot of, I don't know, just to make them up as they go along. And, you know, you, <laughs> you get down to the beach and the guy said, no, no, you can't paddle here. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, no, um, you just can't paddle here. And he was a policeman. I said, but I have a license. You know, and I was standing on the on the beach of Benagil, which is one of the most famous caves on the coastline. Oh, I went to those caves. They were awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful. Did you go in a, on a boat or did you go in a paddleboard? Well, I went there on a boat and I also made a half-hearted attempt to swim to it, but I didn't quite make it and I chickened out halfway through. Yeah, and it depends on the tide. If it's low tide, it'll be a shorter little route around, but if it's high tide, it'll be longer, yeah. You think the cop that stopped you was looking for a bribe? Um... Yeah, I'm not. I can't really do business like that. So I'm. I wasn't even open to that idea. So I just said, okay, well, you know, that's fine. Then I'll leave, and it basically cut off a lot of my revenue because I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to come back to that beach, and I have no idea why. I think somebody on the beach um, wasn't happy that I was working there and making so much money every day, and I don't know. They get a bit jealous. So I moved on to another beach, and I just I just carried on doing it there, which was wouldn't have worked out fine for me. So it's just odd. It's just these things you have to deal with, you know. We should explain to people that when we say the Algarve, we're talking about the southern coast of Portugal, right? And it's not that big, right? It's easily 
drivable from what I remember. Exactly, yeah. It's 150 kilometers wide and 50 kilometers high. So it's this big, long rectangle at the base of Portugal. And I took the bus down there from Lisbon, and I want to say it was like three hours, maybe? Two, three hours? Yeah, spot on, yeah. yeah. Three hours by train, three hours by bus, and maybe two and a half hours by car. So it's not that far. And you can wind your way down through the Alentejo, which is this beautiful wineland region. It's quite dry, um, lots of fork. And uh, yeah, it's Portugal's... Uh, it's amazing. You know what I love about Portugal is that it's, you can just get into the into the outback, as it were, and um, it's like time stood still. You know, go back you know, you know, 20, 30, 40 years and see what time was like a few years ago. Well, I've always talked about Portugal for years. I think it's one of my favorite countries in Europe because it's like a lot of Europe with the old cities and, and the architecture and the culture, but it's cheaper and it's easily accessible and it's easy to get around and yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's all, everything comes together. <laughs> it's perfect. We just actually had some friends over for the last week and a half, and we've been touring them around Lisbon and um, also around the Algarve and just going to all these crazy places and eating and drinking. And it's just, it's been amazing. They were just absolutely floored. They loved it so much. Well, do you miss anything about South Africa? Tell me it's the rugby, right? You miss the rugby. Yeah, I mean, you could get to see rugby. I mean, <laughs> I could see rugby on the internet here. And I, yeah, I do miss that culture of rugby. But I'm, I honestly, I miss the bush because I used to work in the South African bush as a game ranger. Um, and yeah, and it was amazing. We just, uh, we basically take out very wealthy tourists in the morning for a game drive, like a safari, basically. You'd call it as, a, as an American, I think. Yeah. And um, we'd do four hours in the morning and then we'd have a sleep and we'd do four hours in the evening and then entertain our guests and hunt down, well, not hunt down, but uh, it was photographic safaris, no hunting. And we'd look. Would look for lions and leopards and buffaloes and all those things. So that that kind of gets into your blood when you're out there in the bush, and uh, oh, it's an incredible experience. I actually went to South Africa about a month before the World Cup started, and I saw that stadium in Cape Town, and it was just a construction zone outside. And I thought to myself, there is no way they're going to get this done, but somehow they pulled it off. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they managed to do that. That's incredible. <laughs> well, I got to tour that Cape Town Stadium, but I heard it's just sitting there empty now and no one's using it. Yeah, they actually do rugby games in there sometimes as well. Um, so, yeah, they seem to be using it. Yeah, yeah it's, quite a, it's quite a massive um, landmark these days, isn't it? It's, what a beautiful city Cape Town is. Really nice. I loved it. Oh, it is lovely. And uh, yeah, Cape Town, Table Mountain. Did you manage to get up Table Mountain or Lion's Head? Yeah, I hiked up Table Mountain. It was a really nice day, but uh, got really windy at the top. But it was a beautiful view. and loved it. Yeah, that's one thing. You know, I mean, I lived in Cape Town for 30 years. So I know every single little back road and every part of that mountain. I used to walk on that mountain a lot. But I go back there for holidays and I realize how bad the weather really is. Because I always used to think it was good. <laughs> because the Algarve climate is just incredible. It's so much hotter and warmer and you know, sort of more milder winters oh believe me i'm from chicago i know what going back home to cold weather's like after 20 years in la i've gotten really spoiled <laughs> i listened to one of your podcasts and you said do not go to chicago in winter right? yeah that's right summers are great there but don't bother with winter so in doing your podcast do you find that there's some kind of a, a recurring theme or a commonality amongst all the people that you interview of why they are living in the algarve well they're all Ah, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there is a recurring thing. I think everyone's just so totally different. That's what's that that is the recurring thing that everyone's just totally different. Got totally different reasons for coming here. 
um, like there's there's a lady that I'm still trying to get to um, get to interview her. She she was the first person to streak across a rugby field in England in 1978 or something. And because of all the scandal around that surrounded that, she actually left and, and hightailed it down to the Algarve and has been here ever since. She was ahead of her time. I mean, these days no one bats an eyelid. <laughs> Nowadays she'd probably have her own YouTube channel. Exactly. Yeah, she'd be doing great. Uh, what do you think it is that drives most people to? Portugal and the Algarve over anywhere else? Well, I think a lot of people are, are here because their parents put them on a holiday here and they would come here regularly. You know, that some of the some of the people have, uh, their family have holiday houses down here. And then they eventually realized that, wow, we could actually live in this country. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's quite a good opportunity. So I think a lot of people are moving just because of that. Um, it's difficult just to get up and go without any links here. Like, are you starting to see the Russians down there as well? No, not many Russians. I mean, um, yeah, I guess they go to Albania or something. Yeah, and Cyprus and places like that. But there are a lot of Italians actually arriving now. Um, more and more Italians, more and more French. A lot of French, and they're basically buying. Yeah, they're buying up apartments in a place called Oliao, just east of Faro. And they're using them as Airbnb businesses. So Has Airbnb really changed the business model down there in terms of rentals and hotels and everything? Well, yeah, the hotels are starting to moan now because we've had a, a large upsurge in tourism over the last year. And the hotels aren't seeing any upsurge in their numbers. And they're all going to Airbnbs. So, so the hotel associations are getting a little bit up in arms now and making a few noises. And, I'm, and we've got a, quite a complicated uh, law as all the laws here in Portugal are. It's uh, it's called alojamento local, and that's what the Airbnb owners have to adhere to. But most of the people don't even worry about that because, you know, it's it's not very well policed. So um, they're still carrying on trade, but I'm sure things will be happening in that area, and people need to be aware of of those different laws. But let's talk real estate here. Uh, how much would like say a two bedroom house be in the Algarve? A little two-bedroom house would probably set you back in the country, probably about two hundred thousand euros. What's that in dollars? Oh, I, I don't know. I think that's about two forty, two fifty, or something. No, and you can get apartments anywhere from a hundred to two hundred, three hundred thousand. Well, maybe hundred to two hundred thousand. Um, depends, obviously, on your location where you want to live. But there's this thing called the um, non-habitual residency as well, which enables you to not pay tax, essentially not pay tax for ten years if you move to Portugal. Yeah, so if you become a tax resident of Portugal, you won't pay tax for um, for 10 years. I mean, you'll have to obviously look into that and see that it varies on people's uh, different circumstances, but it's, it's a really attractive thing, and it's attracting a lot of people here. Is that like a, a retirement visa or something? No, it's just not a retirement visa. It's just basically an, um, a 10-year sort of attraction so you can get people to move to Portugal. And there's also a thing called um, a golden visa as well. So if you buy a house for half a million euros, um, you can you can get residency. Ooh, that sounds nice. What kind of place can I get for five hundred? Well, you can get a really nice place for that. <laughs> you can buy a whole farm. If you... Now, I'm not aware of what the uh, political situation is like right now. How how's it been in Portugal? Yeah, very stable. It's a, it's very stable politically. Um, it's a it's a it's a yeah, it's a great place to live. Um, so it's, it's a bit sort of. I don't know, I'm not the best political commentator myself, but. Um, I'd say it's it's more socialist than than anything, so you know, workers' rights and everything. But it's uh, it's a very stable country, yeah, at the moment, very stable. How about healthcare? As an American, that's always a big concern of ours. As I get to be an older man, the main thing about retiring, you got to wonder about healthcare costs. How is it in Portugal? 
Um, yeah, you could join. The best thing to do is go to private. There's lots of private hospitals all around, and it's uh, it's not that expensive. You can get like um, private health um, insurance, and that'll take care of you. You, know, you pay a couple of hundred euros a month, and you'll be able to get most stuff done here. Um, and and the doctors are great here, they really are. And if you need anything, you can always go to Lisbon, um, and that's because uh, yeah, it's it's great. It really is good healthcare here. Okay, what do you say we put on your tour guide hat here and say I'm coming from America and I have like a week, week and a half. Uh, I always tell people to go maybe a few days in Lisbon and then get down to the coast. How would you give out an itinerary? What would you say? Well, you hit it on the nail. You have to stay in Lisbon because you've got to see Lisbon as well because it's a fantastic city. So, so yeah, well done on that. Um, and then I would suggest taking the train down to the Algarve and staying in Faro for a couple of days. Um, there's some nice little hotels around the, around the marina in Faro, one called Hotel Eva or EVA, another called Hotel Faro. And just explore, because a lot of people actually miss out Faro, because uh, it didn't ever used to be as amazing as it is now. And there's some wonderful restaurants and bars in Old Town Faro. And there's an, there's an old city in there, you know, like an old. Um, so that's, that's good to see. And then head out east for a day trip to Tavira, which is called T-A-V-I-R-A, Tavira. A lovely old town. It was one of the first settlements in the Algarve um, when the Romans and, the, and, and actually the Carthaginians and Phoenicians before, they, when they came along, because it was a natural harbor. So there's, a, there's quite a bit of history there. And it's a very, very quaint town with a river running through it. And um, So just east of Faro, you have this 70-kilometer-long coastal wetland called the Rio Formosa. And that, that flows all the way to to Tavira. So it's, it also forms, you have to take a um, a boat out to the beach, if you understand what I'm saying. Because there are all these barrier islands, and that's the beach. So you have to take a boat through the Rio Formosa out to, the, out to the beach, which is quite unusual. It's great. There are no cars out on the beach or anything. So you have all these incredible little beach bars out there. So I'd recommend spending a couple of days there. Well, I mean, you know, a day trip out to the east. And then if you go west, um, you, you have to do, as you did, a boat tour from Benagil, um, to see all the caves. If you are um, a little bit fitter and you can do something, I obviously recommend do, taking a kayak or a, or a stand-up paddleboard because it just, it's just a much better feeling and you know you can feel your way into the caves. Um, and that is between a town called Amasao de Pera and Portimao. There's 15 kilometers of incredible coastline, like you know caves and cliffs and rocks and coves that you've never seen before. And uh, they're rated as some of the best beaches in Europe. So they're quite stunning. And you can walk along those cliffs too. I don't know if you had a walk, but there's a, a beautiful named hike called the Seven Hanging Valleys. I mean, it sounds really romantic. It's a beautiful hike along there. So you can see that from the from that side as well. And then heading west to Lagos, you definitely have to check out Lagos, which is a kind of backpacker surfer town with a lot of character, some crazy cool bars and uh, really crazy cool people. And if you want to try your hand at surfing, you can head. You can base yourself in Lagos for about two or three days, and head out to the west coast because the west coast of the Algarve is where all the surfers um, and surf tourism is a, is a really big thing these days as well. So there's lots of surf to, uh, surf um, surf schools to choose from. You can go and learn there and uh, go to the west coast. I remember visiting that old fort that's on the edge, the westernmost part. Of the Algarve and... and Sagres, yeah. Yeah. And there was like a surf beach right below it that I was watching these guys surf. And there was a lot of them out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Baleal around there. That's a, There's some great breaks all, all around there, obviously, depending on the swell. And generally, in the summer, the swell's a little a little less, which is, is quite good if you're learning to surf. Because in winter, 
Um, I'm not sure if you know, but we've got the largest wave in the world in Portugal. Yeah, I watched that video that's on YouTube of that Brazilian guy surfing the biggest wave in the world in Portugal. That's yeah. nuts. <laughs> that's just 60 k's north of Lisbon in a place called Nazaré. And it's crazy because all the Hawaiians around the world are saying, oh, you know, we've got the biggest waves in the world. And so, well, actually, um, there's this little place in Portugal that dishes out 100-foot waves. Because there's a canyon that comes through the Atlantic and it just it doesn't get shallow as it goes close to the to the beach there. And these waves just carry on straight through and they just hit the hit the rock formations and just well up. And it's uh, yeah, a chap called Garrett McNamara did a lot for surf tourism in Portugal. He's Hawaiian and um, and he came and surfed the biggest wave in the world. And then, as you said, recently, a Brazilian guy just came and topped his record by about four feet or something. So, yeah, that guy's crazy. There's no, I mean, I forget it. Forget it. A five-foot wave is enough for me. So, I'm the same as you. I'll never go into that. Never, ever. It's nuts. I mean, we know about the beaches and that it's a summer kind of place at the Algarve. What is it like in the winter? Yeah, well, there's about 450,000 people living in the Algarve, and 50,000 of those are expats. But, uh, yeah, so in the summer, you know, it goes up to millions. Um, yeah, so in the winter, yeah, a lot of restaurants close down. Um, you have to make sure that you know certain places are open. In the in the center of the cities, it'll be okay, but yeah, the whole place just generally gets a lot quieter, um, and and very very sort of very rural. It's lovely. It's very very peaceful because I mean the only time it's really crazy is right now in the middle of August. Um, they say the whole of Portugal tips over because all the people from Lisbon and Porto come down, <laughs> and they all here as well. So they add to the international tourists coming down. So we've got a chocker block. August. So if you can, rather come in September, October, maybe even November, because the weather's getting great. It's still great all the way up to November. Yeah, I was there in the last week of September, and it was beautiful, still hot, and the water was great. Uh, how late into the year can you still do like water activities? I mean, does it, does it get too cold at some point? Yeah, things do. And But I was actually, I paddled all the way across the Algarve on a stand-up paddleboard with a couple of mates. And um, we did that on the 2nd of November. And uh, we did seven days paddling along, just sleeping on the beaches and you know, wearing T-shirts and swimming in the water. It was, it was great weather. Yeah, it was an incredible, incredible tour. It was really, really good fun. Wait, so you just put all your gear and everything else on the paddleboard? Yeah, we put everything on our boards. We strapped it to the front of our boards and put in our sleeping bags and, and some food. Um, but the thing is, there are lots of uh, beach bars and restaurants all along the beaches. So we actually popped into a few towns and had some dinners on the way. Oh, it's incredible. I recommend it wholeheartedly to anybody. But it's uh, it's hard going because one morning we woke up and we could hear the swell that had picked up in the night. And we looked out to see and there was the waves weren't massive, but there was onshore. So they were going out, as you probably know, being a surfer, you know, the waves were stretching far out into the into the bay. So we thought, well, now trying to paddle a 12 foot six paddleboard out through these waves is going to be quite tricky because we had all the baggage on the front of the board. So every time would try and get through the wave that like wash off our wash off our, our paddle i mean it was tied on but not very securely so we just couldn't get out so we eventually had to pick it all up and and uh, walk five kilometers to the to the rio formosa which is that inland coastal waterway so we could try and paddle along that but yeah it was a great experience great experience wait so did anybody fall off and dunk their gear yeah we fell off sometimes we had a like a slight storm and it's <laughs> just it was wild yeah because as i said we were going in november and um, on the second day, there was a little bit of a storm and, uh, and things picked up and it, it got quite gnarly. 
Luckily, it was all onshore winds, so we didn't get blown out to sea. But obviously, if we if it was offshore winds, we would have stopped and, and waited for it to pass. Yeah, waterproof bag, waterproof kit, hats, and all waterproof gear. Because as they say, there's no such thing as bad weather. They're just bad gear. <laughs> do you stay pretty much along the Algarve, or do you go to other places as well? I did actually do a similar kind of thing. and um, We paddled for nine days down the River Zezere, which is right in the center of Portugal, just south of Coimbra. Um, and there's a group of mountains there called the Serra da Estrela, which means the Mountains of the Stars. And we started paddling in the foothills of that down towards the Tagus or the Tejo River, which is one of Portugal's biggest rivers, and it flows out through Lisbon. You may remember that from Lisbon. So we ended up paddling all the way down that into 270 kilometers into Lisbon. And it's the best way to see the country because, you know, you just see all the old villages and people don't even don't speak English there, which is great. So it's more authentic. Well, what do people in these towns think when they see you guys paddling through their village? Yeah, <laughs> you get some crazy, <laughs> crazy looks because most of them have never seen a paddleboard before in their life and they have no idea what we're doing. And uh, yeah, just old toothless people looking at us as if we're absolutely nuts. And then, then we came over and explained where we were and asked for some food, if we could buy some food. And they were like, oh, just so welcoming, incredibly welcoming. Well, did you ever think you were in danger or anything? Or have you ever felt any... Uh, worry or uh, about crime or anything like that? Well, if you compare it, yeah, when I arrived, uh, there was a survey run by the UN or something, and it said Portugal and Canada were the two safest countries in the world. So it's uh, I was quite happy about that because obviously South Africa is not the safest country in the world. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, just living here, you know, sometimes you leave your car doors open at night and you, know, you leave your, your houses open at night and, so, and nothing happens. You know, occasionally you'll get break-ins and burglaries, but, but it's very few and far between. It's a, it's a wonderful way to live. It's a way everybody should, have, should be able to live. Well, it sounds like a nice place to raise children. Is your daughter like full-on Portuguese or does she feel her English South African roots? My daughter, she's 10 years old. She's totally Portuguese, full-on, yeah, 100%. No, she's actually, in English, she's totally, totally fluent because my mother said to me, said, Nicholas, you will not have a daughter that doesn't speak English. So I had to teach her English. <laughs> so she's fluent in both. And uh, yeah, she's got a, I, I don't, it can't quite place her accent, actually. It's, it's a mixture of a lot of things. Is her Portuguese better than yours? I know. I've been here for 18 years trying my best to pick up Portuguese and she just overtook me overnight. Yeah, I think it's okay if you're reading it, isn't it? But the pronunciation with all the and the lots of... It's, it's a yeah. It's quite an, a complex language to listen to. So, where do you like to travel other than Portugal? Well, um, you know, we head down to Spain quite a bit in the south of Spain. Um, it's always nice to go and get a bit of civilization in London. Um, um, we went to Greece last year. I went to Santorini, which is um, a fantastic place, and um, took a ferry from Athens all the way down to Santorini. And stopped off in a place called Naxos. Love Naxos. I was there yeah, last year. Yeah, I loved it. We just stopped there for a couple of hours and I just looked at this island and thought, oh, I'd love to explore that island. Yeah, I went to Naxos, Paros, and Eos, which are all between Santorini and Mykonos. Yeah. And I like those little islands better because they're just so much uh, less touristy and laid back. And uh, I liked it a lot. You're right. Santorini has uh, it's got kind of two extremes. I mean, it's like super touristy part and then a sort of dodgy sort of side to it as well, which I thought was very difficult to get around that island. And we arrived and um, we, we went to Ia and we had booked a place which looked like it had this incredible view and we arrived and it didn't have a view at all. 
So I walked up the hill and changed a, changed to an apartment which was just above and had this incredible view of the whole caldera. And uh, yeah, stunning. Nice walk there from Ia to Fira, actually. Yeah, I did that walk. It was lovely. Oh, excellent. I'll go check that out. I recommend doing it in the morning, though, because it gets hot if you wait too long. Mm. Yeah, hot and windy as well. Hot and windy. Let's see. So there's Greece, and what are some of the other places you like? Yeah, we sometimes go across to Sierra Nevada, which is just four and a half hours drive east of us in, in Andalusia in south Spain. Um, I think it's the southernmost ski resort in Spain. And a lot of people who ski a lot say it's not quite the best, but I found it amazingly good fun, which is uh, beautiful, beautiful. So we snowboard a lot there, and uh, yeah, great fun. I recommend it. Okay, let's go to one of my favorite subjects, food. What What are some of the craziest uh, foods you've eaten since you've been there? <laughs> ah, the three craziest things. There's this thing called mushama, which is actually an Arabian word, and uh, it's kind of dried tuna fish, which I find it disgusting. But you can <laughs> have a go. <laughs> and then there's mursela, which is basically fried blood, fried pig's blood. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've seen dark sausages before. Yeah, it's basically dark sausage, which is quite interesting. Um, and what else is there? Yeah, I mean, actually, a really nice dish, apart from the horrible dishes, a really nice dish that I like is um, arroz pato, which is duck rice. And um, it's a very traditional dish here in Portugal. It's just duck and rice and, and, and some herbs and, and, and spices. So it's, it's, really, it's really tasty. But, you know, Portuguese food is, is very simple, I find. And that's the key to it. You know, you have like a simple tomato salad. And it's just tomato and onions and oregano and a bit of oil. And it's just, it's just really fresh and lovely. Great tomatoes. When I'm in Portugal, I get hooked on those little pastries with the custard in the middle. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, the pastéis de nata. Yeah, the, the best place to get those apparently is the pastéis in Belém, which is just uh, underneath the Vincent de Bril Bridge in Lisbon. But you can get them all over the country and they're just as good, I think. Oh, man, one of those with a coffee, that was my morning. That was every morning for me in Portugal. Yeah, it's interesting about coffee here. We have a, a beaker. It's called an, an espresso. We call a beaker, which there are quite a few stories how that name came about. Um, one of them is that beaker stands for Beba Ishtu Kona Sukar, which is B-I-C-A, which means drink this with sugar, because apparently the coffee arrived in, in Portugal from Brazil back in 1906. And uh, I'm not sure if you've been to Café A Brasileira in Lisbon, but that was one of the one of the original coffee shops in the whole of Portugal. This is where it originated, and, that, and that's where they were drinking it. And they're like saying, "Oh, come on, this stuff is so bitter. You have to drink it with sugar." But that's yeah. If you ask for a coffee in Portugal, that's what you get. You won't get a latte or anything like that. So much helpful advice. Uh, is this what the podcast is? What uh, what was the basis for the podcast, and what do you want to do with it? It's been going. I've done the thirty fourth episode so far. I do an episode once a week. So if I did the math, I think I would have started in November. So it's been going great. I'm trying to target external audience, you know, from people from outside the world. But most of the audience are actually foreigners living in, in the Algarve. Um, so I'm looking to expand a little bit and do some marketing to try and get more people listening to it. Because I think it's quite useful for people to, if they've booked a holiday to the Algarve, to listen to stories from people who live here. Who are some of your guests that really stand out in your mind? Well, I just recently interviewed um, the 65-year-old lady. Uh, called Natasha Don, and she's a journalist here in the Algarve, and she's absolutely fascinating with such a quirky sense of humor. Um, and she's got wonderful stories because she's sitting there writing about all these scandals that happen all the time. And uh, yeah, she's a very, very colorful lady. Um, that was episode number 33. But I've interviewed some interesting people, you know, people who do 
um, hiking tours around the Algarve. Um, I interviewed the the president of the Algarve Tourism Association. Um, she was she was really good and really 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 good to chat to. Um, and just yeah, you make some really really great connections through interviewing people and and sharing thirty minutes of their life with them. So now that we've established that you're an expert in uh, Portugal, what other advice can you give people who are thinking about coming to Portugal? How do you sell it? Um, well, definitely, as I said, don't come in August. Try and try and just get it in September. Um, yeah, visit Lisbon, definitely. And also Porto is an amazing place to visit. Never been to Porto. Heard it's lovely. Well, the Douro River runs all the way across Portugal and it empties out in Porto. And it's, it's, I've had a holiday up there as well in the Douro. And it's beautiful with these, the landscape. Um, it's like contours of, of vineyards all the way across um, on, the, on the canyon that surrounds the, the river, if you know what I mean. Um, it's, quite, it's quite a striking landscape. And then if you get further east, where the Douro River cuts into Spain, it actually forms part of the Spanish border. There's this deep, deep canyon there. So that's that's really exciting to to explore. And yeah, Porto is an old town as well. It's it's one of the major um, centers, uh, apart from Lisbon, second major center. Uh, so most of the people actually live in the north of Portugal, because uh, the south of Portugal is fairly, fairly um, well, not desolate, but it's much lessly populated. So it's uh, it's good to get up there. Um, Have you acquired a taste for port wine? No, don't like that at all. <laughs> I love the normal Portuguese wine. You can't get anything else here. I mean, you could if you wanted to, but why why drink anything else when you've got such amazing wines right on your doorstep? And the Alentejo region is 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 the the region just north of the Algarve, in between us and Lisbon. And uh, I reckon that's where all, all, some of the best wines come from. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great place to drink wine and and enjoy the food, enjoy the history as well. Because obviously Portugal is um, I'm not sure if many people know this, but it's the oldest country in the world, a thousand year old country. I I did not know that. How was their relationship with Spain these days? It's great. It's a whole lot better than it was in the I think it was the 1600s when the when the Spanish. I'm not sure exactly when, but the Spanish controlled Portugal for about 60 years and. Uh, it didn't go down well. I talked to a lot of digital nomads on here and people who are working remotely around the world. Do you see the Algarve as a place like that where people are moving to work remotely? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the Algarve is definitely on the digital nomad map. There's quite a few places down here which, um, like, if they're not just retreats that people come for a month to work here, they we've got special places where you can go and do co-working spaces in, in Faro and also further west in Lagos. Um, so there's definitely, yeah, digital nomad is a thing here, and people are aware of it, and I'm sure it's it's bringing more because we've got such great internet uh, in Portugal because the backbone was built fairly recently with European investment, so it's all brand new fiber optics here. So you would think that you're coming to an old country like Portugal, you'd get bad internet, but you don't. You know, it's uh, we've got 4G coming, 5G coming soon. So there's a great infrastructure here for that kind of reason. Are you starting to see that kind of real estate investment like we get here in California where the Chinese will just you know, park money here or in London and say the Russians or the Arabs that will just buy multi-million dollar places and not live in them? Are you seeing that kind of stuff there as well? You see a lot of wealthy people coming in here. We have a, an area in the Algarve called Quinta do Lago, which is just west of the airport. I mean, I don't know why they put a wealthy area right next to the airport, because you've got airplanes going over all the time. But everyone's got a house here. You know, Madonna's got a house here, and all the Formula One drivers, and all the football players, and, and a lot of interesting industrialists have got their houses here as well. So 
um, yeah, a lot of money pouring into the country. So what do you think this whole experience of living abroad and interviewing people and meeting so many people from around the world, how has it changed you and how has it changed the way you look at the world and at people? I think with any any travel, I mean, it definitely expands your horizons and opens your mind up to different views from different viewpoints. So I think to understand where people are coming from is the first most important thing. And then to even try and, and make a, you know, I obviously don't want to judge people, but I think it's a much, you're much more, um, much more accommodating of, of, of people's different views. And uh, especially in, in Portugal, I couldn't believe it because I thought it would be, I thought it'd be very similar to South Africa, and but in so many respects, it's not. There's so many small little things. We, we've had to live here for about four or five years before you understand these little differences that actually make a large impact. So, I mean, it's just a different culture. Like, for example, um, just a crazy little example. In, at Christmas time, we have a traditional turkey and chicken Christmas, whereas in Portugal, they eat fish, and they have, they have bacalhau on, uh, on you know, Christmas Eve which is the codfish, and that's the, one of the most famous. And it's boiled with spinach and, and boiled potatoes and, uh, and, and a chickpea called grau. So it's, <laughs> that took a bit of getting used to. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, you get used to it and you, and you respect it and you understand it. So uh, I think, yeah, obviously any travel is, is, is vital for people to learn and to, to accept other people. Well, I think that's very well said, Nick. And uh, I think that's a good, good place to end. So this is where we get to do business and you can plug away here. Uh, where can people find you? Okay, it's algarveaddicts.com. That's uh, that's the website, and you got all the links to all the social media from there, Instagram and Facebook, and uh, a little bit of YouTube as well. I really enjoy doing a few videos of what life is like down here in the Algarve. So, um, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, really, thanks very much for having me, Mike. It's really been great chatting to you. No, hey, the pleasure's been all mine, and I'm glad we could finally make it work. And uh, for people out there, there will be links to all of Nick's sites at TravelTalesPodcast.com and go see the Algarve. It's awesome. Visit Portugal. It's one of my favorite countries in Europe. And Nick, thank you so much. Oh, that was lovely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Mike. All right. That's Nick Robinson, everybody. 